Say it's a bomb, then say say whatever you want. Say whatever you like. Just get it off the air. Please, you just... I, no, no, I can't prove it. You've got to believe me. Believe me. Take it off the air now, please. You've got to at least... Wait a Tuesday interruption. We're having technical problems. Please stand by. It's time. It's time. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Dark masks, gather round your TV set. Put on your masks and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack o lanterns The third gather commercial, round, it's still on. Please, watch take off the third channel. The third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please, stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And guys, typically with me is fellow co-host extraordinaire, Reed Lackey. And well, he was here. He ran into frame rather pell-mell and just sort of haphazard-like, knocking stuff over and just rather harried, if I'm being perfectly honest. And he kind of breathily barked which is a great phrase, breathily barked, one I don't know that I've ever used before, but he breathily barked the phrase, they're coming. And then he ran back out of frame as wildly as he ran into it. I don't know. It's it's that time of year, though, when the crazy things happen, which worries me a little bit considering the kind of year we've had already. However, in the meantime, allow me to welcome you, dear listener, to that glorious month of October and a brand new run of episodes this month dealing with that most treasured of hallowed holidays, a series dubbed affectionately. This is Halloween. (laughs) It's real creative, that one, but I am getting ahead of myself because here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch the fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God podcast, where you'll find episode archives and merchandise. Like, I don't know, campaign buttons. If you're still undecided, we're here for you. T-shirts, masks, they're meant for you and others. 
but mainly others and maybe you magnets pillows read come back and save me it's getting kind of crazy in here what have you done <laughs> what have you done with me what's going on with your lighting effect i actually have to correct the lighting but no this is my this is my no, you don't. that looks good <laughs> well it's a little dark in my house and and my son is not quite asleep uh, yet so i just want to make sure that he uh you know has enough light i like that it's a good effect but like see it. what you what you don't know and and what only know. listeners of the show well, don't tell me no well no 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 it's a that okay. uh wh- whenever halloween comes around whenever october time comes around then we i deck out our primary living area in just these orange glow lights we've got some pumpkin lights over there we've just got some orange stream lights with some little bats up at the top and uh, it's really it's really fun and festive but uh give me one second to actually like restore the lighting and then uh yeah i'll be i'll be right back i hope you do come back so you're actually going away ladies and gentlemen i usually joke about reed going away and instead of a joke this time reed did actually go away (laughs) and now he has returned that was life imitates art because that is what we are the fear of god was like right here. Art. That would be better. But uh, Riri, yes, sir. It's October. It's October. It's time. It's it's here. It's it's finally here. I, I mean, it is upon us. What's next? I mean, in, in the words of Kevin Garvey Senior, what now? <laughs> uh, but we're gonna we're gonna do October. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really want to see what comes after it though. No. Um, we got a couple of announcements. Yes, Riri. Yes, by all means. Um, I'm gonna throw out the sound bites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our 200th formal episode listener, listeners, friends, foggers, is two weeks away. Yeah. That's two. Impossible. Two. That's impossible. Two. Two episodes from now, we're going to be living it up. <laughs> we're going to be swinging from the chandeliers because it is party it's time. A we're going to party like it's 1999. Um, that's a great song. Um, mm, mm-hmm. And we want to hear from you. Uh, the listeners are going to, you listeners are going to end up hearing from you. It's this weird effect. So we want you, nah. we're doing these sound bites. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Not the, just fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Record yourself 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Try to keep it under a minute of the favorite thing, your favorite thing about the fear of God. We'll make it easy for you. What's your favorite thing about the fear of God? Uh, how long have you been listening to the fear of God? Um, who's your favorite host? Don't answer that one. Whoa. It's okay. I don't want to hurt Reese's feelings. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> what's been a favorite episode? What got you into it? What's kept you around? What's something you learned? What's something you laughed at? Send that to us. We're going to play it on episode 200, which happens in two episodes, which is insanity read. That's um, impossible. What's another? So, but after that, after it's we have about, our, I no, I don't want it to be impossible because no, there's a lot. We're, life is tough. That's true. And we need to I count need, on something. Yeah, yeah, I need a few things not to be so hard. So, um, so then after that, after October is behind us, which you know may it last a long time because I love October. It is a boom to my spirit. At least thirty-one days. Please. At least thirty-one days. Um, after that, we will be diving into the remainder of the year. We have one special surprise that we'll save for an announcement later, but um, uh. Through the rest of the run of the year, we will be counting down the remainder of 2020-2020. And to do that, we need you to go to the fearofgodpodcast.com. We need you to uh, go 
click the banner on the top of the page and go to where the surveys are and fill out those surveys so that you can select your top 10 favorite horror films of each of the years leading us up right to 2020. So because after this run in October, that's going to be the rest of our year. So we need you to go and vote. That's hard to believe. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, So yeah, so go uh, get out the vote on the website. And uh, that is that is in real life. And in real life. Um, Okay, so we did sound bites. We need those. We did 2020. We need that. Mm -hmm. Shall we? Shall we crack open the book? Let's do Are we it. There? Let's you do, it. do it. We do, I wish we had a jingle, a good jingle for like this set because this is not something just something like, wicked. This way comes something wicked. This way comes this, this book club. <laughs> so you do like a like a barbershop quartet version. I guess I'm so. just I'm just one man though. I, I need know. three more. Yeah, a one man barbershop quartet. Well, a student. But it's like the same tune, but every time every time you do it, you plug in the name of the book. So it's oh. like. I see. Do a new book book club, everybody. I know I'm saying uh, something wicked this way comes, but uh, <laughs> well, something. something mighty fine just walking through the door. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so here we are. Book okay, club. So, Not that jingle. No, 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 no. But uh Jackson Harper, get on that. So when I <laughs> he's gonna send us some really creative stuff. So um so it delighted my heart. I remember I reached out to you very like in, in one of those rare occasions where I'm just very much like, Okay, I need this. Please don't fight me on it. Let's just do this. Um I, I was like, I need to spend October talking about something wicked this way comes this book is uh you know something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury for many years i cited it as my favorite novel um since then i've I've kind of come to realize that if i was being really objective assessing everything i think christmas carol is my favorite book but for many years and something wicked this way comes is still like my favorite sort of you know christmas carol is more viewed as a like a novella or it's a little bit of a, a kind of its own thing uh so just of a novel that you know people could cite as just hey here's a a, a book you could go out that you may not have already read that you may not know about uh something wicked this way comes still ranks high 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 uh among my favorites it's a book that's very special and important to me and as such uh, I'm going to try my best not to just like make all of these little segments just gush fests on everything. Okay. And I, <laughs> mm, mm, okay. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, but I said, you know, I really want this to be uh, kind of what we spend our time doing in October. And that sort of yielded, you know, much of the programmed content that we're doing this October is going to be sort of themed around a, a traversing through something wicked this way comes. Uh, so my, my, my first question is, I know you've, you've mentioned it, so maybe the answer is pretty brief, um, but you, you think you read this in high school. Um, so I want to applaud you. You know me well. <laughs> so I wanted to find out like as you and, and granted, we've only made it through the first you know 12 chapters at this point as of this conversation. So um, are, are things like coming back to you? Is it not ringing much of a bell at all? Like what's your general sort of recollection? Um, of I it? feel pretty confident. I did read it. Mm. it I, you know, um, flavor and tone have been lost to time, even mm. if plot hadn't been now i don't remember kind of how it resolves necessarily but sure sure you know kids and dark carnival Mm. in a fiction novel setting yes i I am pretty positive i've read it but you know when that would have been i i don't know but but yeah so i I was i was pretty excited 
um, to jump in. Do you have more questions? No, I was just, and then, I mean, the only other follow-up I was going to do is just like, you know, tell me about your, your experience with these first little bit, like getting acquainted with the language. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That'd be a long month. Oh man. (laughs) Made made a grave error here. You just do the fourth episode by yourself. Like I'm just here. (laughs) Just like I'm not inviting you. It's like a reading. Just read reading. Read reading. Um, Read reading. That's a, that's a podcast idea for you. (laughs) Reading with read. Um, so yeah, we did 12 chapters and initially that was daunting. And then I was like, Oh, look at these brief little fellows. <laughs> just just clip right I along. I love it. Love <laughs> it. It's like Cobra Kai, 25 minutes in and out. <laughs> um, yes. And say, um, I do want to, I'm looking in my phone cause I took a couple notes. Looking yeah. in my phone cause I took a couple notes. Though the only notes I took were to remember the names and who was who. So it's uh, Will and Jim yeah, yeah, yeah. and then Charles's dad or Charles is the dad and then Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show. That's a good name. Isn't that a great Reminds name? me yeah. a little bit of Neil Diamond's Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show, which is a very different, uh, mm. touring, touring company. Yeah. That said, um, I do want to play a little game with you real quick, Riri. Oh, it's a new surprise. uh, It's it's something wordy this way comes. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, this is your man Ray. He has a way with the words. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ray's way. Ray's way. Um, It always makes me, there's a song. It's a shame about Ray. Is that a Cranberries album? I don't know. Song it's a title 90s, doesn't ring about nineties alternative music reference there. Chase Allen oh. will know that. Get on that, Chase. <laughs> um Siri probably would too, but you know <laughs> it's not a human yet. Um so there's three there's three vocab words that jumped out at me in this little segment of something okay. wordy this way comes, and yeah. I want to share them with you and our listeners. One is perambulated, read. Oh, yeah. Perambulated. It's a really good word. That's a fantastic word. What were you about to say? Nothing. I'm just, I'm, okay. I'm basking in the glow uh, of the literature. Perambulated means to walk through, about, or over. Hmm. Also, to traverse in order to examine or inspect. Hmm. It's a really good word. So, if you're taking notes at home, perambulated. Perambulated. Uh, I am not going to use that in a sentence. <laughs> now, this word, there's three words. The third one, I, I probably had a little bit of familiarity with. This second one, I was like, that is a keeper <laughs> um but because <laughs> i've never seen this word um the word is montgolfier oh montgolfier yeah 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 yeah, yeah. montgolfier yeah i've never seen that word yeah it's a hot and air balloon means... <laughs> <laughs> the game isn't you define it this is your book we're reading i'm just trying to find find ways to join you and <laughs> 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 look on your face. <laughs> just the fuck. You <laughs> SOB. Like, really? It's midnight my time and we're just getting started and you're taking my game away from me. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my gosh. Huh. Yes, read. It's a balloon raised by air heated from a fire in the lower part. <laughs> <laughs> the death stare that I got. It's so yeah, glorious. Yeah, you earned it. Oh, um... Man. The last word. I won't define this mm, one. I there promise. it is. No, it's all right. Whatever. I, <laughs> um, I was, I, I, this is one of those words where you're like, there's a decent chance I've seen that before, but it, it wasn't 
immediately registering in such a fashion. Semaphore, read. Mm. Semaphore, which is, and that's S-E-M-A-P-H-O-R-E, is an apparatus for conveying information by means of visual signals as a light whose position may be changed. I just love I love words. That's that's absolutely wonderful. It's so wonderful. Um, so yeah, th- those were some words. Perambulated, Montgolfier, and Semaphore were immediately registering to me. So, do you, what 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 do you want to talk about <laughs> in these twelve chapters? Read. So I figured in this first installment, uh, I have a few little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Took, so I'm going to get a couple maybe trivial bits out of the way just uh, do uh, it. Uh, because, you know, as they go through, I figure in this inaugural installment where there's not as much that people had to read. If you had to read this, it's 12 chapters, maybe 50-ish pages. So not a huge ask. Um, and so I figured, you know, we get a couple of things out of the way. So first off, you know, the title comes from the Scottish play. I'm not in a theater, so I can go ahead and say that's Macbeth, um, where the witches say, by the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Um, there, it, it, what's interesting to me is this book is frequently spoken of as if it is the second part of a trilogy, which technically, yes, it is. Um, Greentown, Illinois is a fictional town that Ray Bradbury created. It's similar to Stephen King's Castle Rock or Dairy or something like that. Um, except obviously more idyllic and, and sort of, uh, you know, less sinister, uh, at least in other places it shows up. The first novel set there was called Dandelion Wine, and it's actually, Ray Bradbury was primarily a short story writer. And when they told him that he should write a novel, he said, I don't know how to write a novel. I don't, he literally was like, I don't know how to write a novel. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And so they said, well, just take, take a bunch. I forget what friend of his um, said, well, just take, you've written a bunch of short stories on Mars. Why don't you just thread those together, make a couple of tweaks and changes to them. And then that's your novel. Like you've written a novel. And so hence, the Martian Chronicles was born. That's all the Martian hmm. Chronicles is, is a collection of, you know, a dozen plus short stories that Bradbury loosely tweaked, connecting some character names here and there, and then made a threaded novel that way. Dandelion Wine, the first novel of Greentown, Illinois, is the same thing, a, a collection of short stories that are loosely threaded together. Um, but then uh, Bradbury would later write like an official sequel to Dandelion Wine called Farewell Summer. He also published a, a, a straight up collection of short stories called Summer Morning and Summer Night. And so Something Wicked This Way Comes takes it place. It feels like a missed opportunity that he didn't do Summer Lovin'. Summer Lovin'. <laughs> Having a blast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Your wife will appreciate that, too. That's true. No, she will. Um, so this takes place in Greentown, Illinois. So it is loosely considered the second part of the trilogy between Dandelion Wine and Farewell Summer, but it shares no characters. No, like Dandelion Wine and Farewell Summer have the same characters in each novel, but Something Wicked This Way Comes is unique unto itself. So I don't consider it, even though it is technically and often published and promoted as like the second book of the Greentown series, I don't consider it as such because it is unique into itself. It is a complete story. It does not thread to the rest of Bradbury's catalog, except some of the characters of Cougar and Dark's show um, do yes, show up in other places. I did places. recognize the tattooed man. Yes, the illustrated man, absolutely. The illustrated man. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I wrote this down. The The influence of this novel is is possibly incalculable because Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, R.L. Stein, they all cite specifically Something Wicked This Way Comes as a major inspiration to them. No Dean Koontz? Uh, no, <laughs> not that I know. <laughs> um, so, uh, and and one of the biggest things that they sort of drew from it when they talk about it is how deftly it blends 
the sinister and the frightening with strikingly human characters and characteristics, uh, a very human setting. Um, it's not just about the monster. It's about the characters, and and obviously they're going to be st- thrust into a story that's that's quite sinister, but it's really just about them. Um, so then from there, I just figured we could, th- that's all I really had in, in, by way of like, brief trivial bits so then i figured we could just walk our way through these 12 chapters not every single one but just sort of make our way through (laughs) you know broad strokes so what's what's the first note that you have on there just yielding over to you um unless you have some more general thoughts how how insistent are you in the what sounds like a very didactic approach that you just outlined of 12 chapters versus just the rough story laid out and then yeah Plucking, cherry picking highlights from yeah. that. Nope, that's fine. Let, okay. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, so I do want to just shout out here. Um, I don't know if this just means I need to be more well read. I don't like the idea that that might be the case because I feel like I read pretty substantially. But um, I always point to Frederick Beekner as my as 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 an example of what I was about to describe, and and I'm allowing the possibility slash probability there's a lot more out there like this. I just am unfamiliar with it, mm. um, but. Bradbury's style is very, at least in this, I don't know how this carries across other works, but is, is just very easy. And yes. And, and by easy, I don't mean simplistic. It's, it's actually quite not. Um, There's this weird feeling like you're just stepping into a stream. Like Mm, the, 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 the the rhythm just kind of washes over and past and, and it's very, even though, and we're not even really into any of the more profoundly sinister elements of it, presuming they're to come. I don't even mean uh, not that, but it's just very pleasant mm-hmm. to read. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you, and even in a way that I don't know, and I'm with you. We we all know this. We love Stephen King here, but King is a very direct, yeah, uh, almost prosaic writer when you compare him to something like this. No, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I just found that very enjoyable. You know, if you if you are going to read something, you should enjoy the reading of it. Yeah, because at least he, when it comes to fiction. Oh, absolutely. And well, because his his prose is frequently feels like poetry and, and feels very much like it's I love the way you describe it, like a stream. It has a flow to it and it has uh, kind of a, a, a warmth. I, I would I would say this. It's. This is interesting to me. I think Ray Bradbury's prose is very high-minded, but it's not like it's also very grounded. Like it, 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 it has a sense where you could kind of feel elevated a bit reading through it, especially some of the passages, either because you're struck by. I know this is my experience. You're either struck by the sudden loveliness of it or the sudden, you know, poignancy of it. Um, but you, you get to this place where, again, you just kind of begin to feel a bit elevated by what you're reading but at the same time it's not very lofty language you cited three words that yes are are in truth are uh, you know miracles of vocabulary but the language is very accessible it's it's something that you can enter into very easily and i think it does have the effect of giving you a kind of a, a warmth as you're as you're going through it and i think that holds true especially for his early prose, anything prior to like 1980. Toward the end of his life, his prose did take on a different sort of flavor. It became a little bit more direct um, or pivoted so much that it was so poetic, it almost became 
abstract and obtuse where mm-hmm. it was a little hard to follow the plot. But these early works, Illustrated Man, Martian Chronicles, Dandelion Wine, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Fahrenheit 451, they all have this same feel, the same flavor. Like I just recently, I had mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I just recently reread Martian Chronicles. And man, there's, I mean, just there's some passages in that that will just bowl you over. Just like, man, this is beautiful and haunting and and uh, and and I simultaneously like want to cry and, and feel a little afraid and everything. It's just got lots of, uh, it's got lots of layers going on in the way that he pairs prose together. He has a strong grasp of the power of a concise moment. Um, and uh, so in these early stages, just to, to kind of introduce us to our story, it's a small town, Greentown, Illinois. Our, our early on, I love the first line of the novel, it says, first of all, it was October, a rare month for boys. And uh, then we we meet our primary players, Will Halloway and Jim Nightshade. They're each 13 years old. They're our primary protagonists, if you will. Uh, they were born literally seconds apart, and they have a bond very much like brothers, even though they're not. Uh, Will can be a bit of a Boy Scout. He's obedient. He's protective. Jim's more of a wild card, uh, more provocative, kind of perpetually curious. Um, and so they're kind of like equal parts, similar and opposite. But then we also meet... Will's father, Charles Halloway, who is a very, if you can't tell from these first 12 chapters, is a very vital part of the story. And in many ways, I think was Bradbury's surrogate. Like, I think, and maybe you already picked up on this, but I think as the story progresses, many times the voice and the thoughts of Charles Halloway are Bradbury's. Those are those are his thoughts that he's just sort of encapsulating into this character and expressing that way. Um, uh, Charles Holloway is a 54 year old library janitor. Like I love that he's a, he's a, the janitor of a public library in a small town. So the so like the epitome of non successful. <laughs> like he's not even a librarian. He's just the custodian in this small town public library. Um, and uh, and I love. There's even a line that I wrote down. I forget which chapter it's in, but. Um, Will, in his thoughts, describes him as the old man who was also a janitor who happened to be his father. And mm. I thought, like, that's just, you know, that says it all right there of just like he, he's an unremarkable man. And uh, but his, you know, his spirit and his actions, you already get a sense that, like, this is going to be an important person. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll mention just one or two things and then pivot over to you to sure. chime in on something else. So um, I did love the little aside when they boys come to the library and, and Charles says, you have to decide if you're going to wear a, a, a white hat or a black hat. You got to decide if you're a white hat person or a black hat story. Uh, clearly I'm a black hat spirit. Um, but I just love that so much. It's just like as, as a general idea of, okay, you like things a little bit lighter, a little bit more palatable, or you like a little bit of an edge, you like a dark side, like what's, you know, kind of what direction do you tilt one way or another? Um, and then one more thing I'll mention before I pivot over chapter three specifically is the moment for me. Every time I read the book where I remember for myself, even though I always feel it, uh, that the story is special and that it's about more than just the plot or more than just what's going to happen to these characters. Um, for a reminder, in case you don't remember what happens in chapter three, it's just these brief moments where Charles watches the boys run away and has this internal thought about why boys run at all and promising them in his heart that he'll catch up someday. It's just, it's aching and lovely. And uh, again, I find it beautiful. Yeah. That's friendship. Each playing the potter 
to see what shapes we can make of the other. Mm. I mean, that's powerful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I, I, I love it so much. What did you, what did you write down? I have a couple more notes before we, you know, kind of close it down and move on. But, uh, what did you um, write yeah, I mean, I loved, uh, very early, there was that one, both these lines about friendship, that one from chapter three, there's one towards the front end of chapter two. It was, um, like all, like all boys that never walked anywhere, but named a goal and lit for it, scissors and elbows. Nobody won. Nobody wanted to win. This is the line. It was in their friendship. They just wanted to run forever. Shadow and shadow. It's very mm. powerful. That's wonderful. Um, one other line that just really grabbed me is I think what's happening in this scene is, Oh, maybe it's actually the barber, Mr. Corsetti, the barber. Um, and I, if I'm recalling correctly, this is when, is there some impression of kind of characters being frozen in time yes. for a moment of just sensing or, yeah. you know, there's kind They're of a bit this, hypnotized this, for a moment, mesmerized. Yeah. yeah. And Mr. Corsetti, I remember how long, how a long time ago, boys, he's talking about, um, like candy, cotton candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause they smell cotton candy there. That's it. And this gentleman who I think is the barber, he says, my nose tells me breathe and I'm crying. Why? Because I remember how a long time ago boys ate that stuff. And this is the line. Why haven't I stopped to think and smell the last 30 years? Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have two other little one that is a passage that, that um, is powerful. And then one other sort of note. Uh, and that's all I've got. Sure. Do you want to sandwich something in here real quick? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mention, I have four little brief notes here that I'll, uh, I'll mention. Uh, so plot wise, all that really happens in this story is we meet the boys, we meet their father. And then on this night, there are flyers posted everywhere that Cougar and Dark's pandemonium show is um, coming. And uh, eventually before it's all over, we, we actually witness at least, fractionally we witness the coming of the carnival but that's really all that plot wise that takes place here jim and will run all over town characters have observations and conversations with each other and then you know everybody is anticipating the arrival of this carnival in late october when carnivals never arrive um but uh, what strikes me so much and it continues throughout the book but uh, i'll hone in on chapter eight there's some wonderful observations about the relationship between will and his father um, which isn't so much strained as it is just foreign. They just don't know each other. Um, and a lot of it is because of the age gap. They can never quite seem to reach each other, even though both of them clearly deeply want to have a strong connection. Uh, and I love the image of Will sometimes stays up late and listens to his father talk to his mother because of a quality in his voice. Is that one of your notes? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go, go ahead and say it. No, I mean, uh, I mean, mainly I just was kind of, moved to tears at just the line and he says he, he's recounting that idea that he does this thing right and he says and the odd thing in dad's voice was the sound truth makes being said isn't that a lovely just, line isn't that a wonderful yeah, that's a, yeah, wonderful a wonderful line, line. wonderful well line. and I'll, I'll in the spirit of that two pages prior still chapter eight um i mean one of the most just powerful passages of it so far uh, Will is reflecting on seeing his parents at home. And he says, this is a little long, but he says framed through the hall door. Will saw the only theater he cared for. Now the familiar stage where sat his father holding a book, but reading the empty spaces in a chair by the fire, mother knitted and hummed like a tea kettle. He wanted to be near and not near them. 
He saw them close, he saw them far. Suddenly they were awfully small, in too large a room, in too big a town, and much too huge a world. In this unlocked place they seemed at the mercy of anything that might break in from the night. Including me, Will thought, including me. Suddenly he loved them more for their smallness than he ever had when they seemed tall. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah, that is great. <laughs> and I think that's the thing about this. This is just such a beautiful book. I mean, like... Something beautiful, this makes <laughs> And that's the thing is like, it is, and it does get, it, it does get, I don't know what listeners' experience will be. I don't know what your experience will be. To me, there are moments where it gets tremendously darker and more grim, but it never loses, from my memory, it never loses that quality of loveliness that we're expressing in some of these passages. Even in some of its scarier and grimmer moments, it ha- there is this constant thread of just the beauty and fragility of things like that. And uh, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it, because I feel like that's something that Bradbury had a profound grasp of, not only a grasp of being able to think through moments like that, but then being able to put words to them and express them in a way that resonates with so many other people. Um, and uh, I do want to mention, I, I don't recall actually in this moment how much more this comes up later in the book, but in chapter nine, we see the contrast between the life, the home life of Will and Jim, because Will has both parents at home, and obviously he has this this thing going on with his father where the two can't quite reach each other, but Jim just has his mother, and we not only learn we not only learn that she has lost Jim's dad and that his father has somehow died, but also two of his siblings. Um, so so she only has him left, and I thought this was really uh, painful, but she's described Jim Nightshade's mother is described as having been hit long ago. The bruises had never gone from around her eyes, um, and so it's this image of somebody who clearly never sleeps because they've got dark circles under their eyes. But the way that's described is as if life hit her a long time ago, and the bruises never went away. And I thought that was really—I mean, it's aching, but it's powerful. Um, I have just two more notes. Uh, did you have anything else? Mm-mm. No, okay. So I have these two more notes, and then we'll we'll wind down and transition over to the film. Um, so uh, Tom Fury, the the lightning rod salesman, who we meet in chapter one, um, he wanders into the shop with the you know most beautiful girl in the world encased in a block of ice. I just wanted to mention it because we are going to see him again. Now I know that we do some weird time travel on the show, uh, but did you read past twelve or did you stop at twelve no, as of this recording? Not. Okay, so um, so. Tom Fury, the lightning rod salesman, does appear again. So I, do, I so I want to mention him here for fluidity of later conversation. Um, but uh, but here all we see is that he is walking along. He's been trying to peddle his wares and and uh, sell these lightning rods. He sells he gives one to Jim Nightshade at the very beginning of the book. But then uh, he's drawn in by the most beautiful girl in the world. And then in chapter twelve. The carnival finally arrives and, uh, you know, the ringmaster uh, descends in this massive air balloon, which eventually spreads out as like this vast canvas and Will and Jim watch at like 3 a.m. Uh, haunted, but of course, you know, relentlessly curious. So you can tell that it's, um, you know, that things are dark and, and, and again, as the book implies, something wicked is on its way. Um, but we still yet don't have a grasp of exactly what is sinister about this carnival and what its aim is and what it's doing to the people and much of the substance that i'm sure we'll draw from 
when we dive eventually into the themes of the book, um, that's largely what we're setting up for. So what I desired for this first installment before we get into our, our film subject for this week, what I desired for this first installment was just kind of a stage setting of the book, get introduced to some of the, to our, our three primary characters, um, get sort of introduced to the fundamental premise and the fundamental place, um, get sort of started, get into the rhythm of the language. Um, and then we'll carry on with some more things as, uh, as it goes through. So, um, I'll remind again at the back end of the episode, but next week's installment, you're going to read the remainder of part one, um, which takes you up through chapter 24, the end of chapter 24. Uh, so just read the remainder of part one. Uh, it's about probably 60 or 70 pages, uh, but read the remainder of part one for next week's little installment in our, in our little book club. Book club. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'm very excited to be reading this book. This was just sort of an on-ramp into it. This initial conversation will obviously be talking much more about it. Um, but that brings us to this, uh, <laughs> discussing, <laughs> discussing this is Halloween. <laughs> specifically and and this book and all that is sort of attached to it um and and how halloween came early you know i i thought you know uh, listeners don't know but you and i know that we had some like programming difficulties to try to figure out exactly like okay well what are we going to program along with this and and i wanted as is the major themes of the book or at least the major intersections of the book uh to talk about stories that involved two things halloween and children and that's kind of where we wanted to to pivot everything. And one of the early things that came to my mind was the notorious and uh, much maligned and now uh, widely very praised and, and definitely, you know, much discussed throughout the annals of horror history, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That is the singular installment in the landmark Halloween franchise that does not feature Michael Myers. You had mentioned last week that you'd never seen this film. So uh, I know you're not fond of this question. I but- still have not seen this film. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, didn't, I didn't watch it. First time. Figured I'd give it a try this episode. <laughs> Just free will. So um, I know you're not terribly fond of this question, but I do want to know your thoughts like, well, uh, and your expectations. I wanna, before, before I address that, I am curious because I've got thoughts. Um, yep. I am curious what i can't remember and and as i was watching this i couldn't quite recall your take on this film okay and and part of me is curious about that before i open up a little bit um i just couldn't remember will you fill me in a little bit yeah sure sure so this is a film i i do enjoy i don't think it's a great film I would not say this that- is helpful. Can I stop you there? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. What you just did is helpful. Mainly, mainly, I was I couldn't remember the energy you had around the film. Oh, sure, sure, and sure. So yeah, yeah. I want uh, that wasn't me trying to rudely cut you off as much as I want to answer your question, but I just I I wanted some context. Yeah, um, sure. No, that makes sense. Your your knowledge or your take. So, um, I like a lot of the concepts at work in this film. I don't really like the film. Okay, that's fair. Um. Yeah. One of it is about the film itself. One of it is utterly unintentionally. So when you said intersection of Halloween and children, I would prepped myself for like a children's tale. Oh, I see. No. I and understand. so, yeah. and mm-hmm. literally probably still 10 minutes in and I was like, I saw some kids. Where are the children? <laughs> They're going to come back, you know? Um, and cause, cause you see Chalice's kids early on. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. it's them. 
they're gonna be they're gonna be our POV people. Oh, oh I see. No, guess not. No. Nope. And then nope. then it just oh we're we're it's just an adult tale, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so right, right. So from that standpoint, and some of my criticism about what we do get. I think would have been much more interesting if it was a kid adventure story about the same things. Interesting. Um, right, 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 right. I mean, the cover art, at least the cover art I had is children on a horizon. Exactly. Right? Like yes. With, mm-hmm. with the kind of demonic figure or whatever it is in the, yep. in the mm-hmm. or the witch or whatever. So, so a lot of that had prepped me for what I did not get. And, sure. I understand. Yeah. And what I did get was because of not just different expectations, but also what is actually in the text. I was like, ah, that's all right. Um, sure, sure. No, that's fair. So, so yeah, that's 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 a, a an initial hot take. Yeah. Um, well, but what do you I, want to talk about? I don't know that. I don't know that it's really a hot take because here's here's what it's has. A, it's a hot take from the standpoint of if we're defining hot take as my immediate response to a thing. Oh, sure. Understood. Take, yeah, 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 yeah. Not not to say that it's a it's a uh, wrong take or a different take than what exists out there. It's I just not, want yeah. to make sure we're clear. Yes, 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 yes. It's not a terribly, a you are not terribly contrarian to say you are not fond of season of the witch. Okay. Um, so but, oh, dadgummit. I like to be different though. <laughs> <laughs> Enneagram four. Um, so I think like one of the things to keep in mind. So this, this film is unique, not only to the Halloween franchise, but to horror franchises in general. I cannot think of one. Steve Beckley or any other listener, I challenge you to find a Ooh. a franchise. Here's the here's here's what Halloween three season of the witch is. Find a franchise of films where the primary sort of monster, villain, whatever is the same in all the rest of the installments and utterly absent in one of them. You know, you can find like the Cloverfield franchise or anthology franchises of films exist where each one is kind of only loosely connected to the other. But Halloween three is the only time that I can think of but that this has been done. I, I don't know if you're wanting back and forth. Yeah. Here. Yeah. That's fine. Um, yeah. Please. But wouldn't you say, though, to take a little pressure off the challenge bearers, although I can see them scurrying to the typewriter right now. <laughs> to um, the typewriter. Wouldn't you say that's largely circumstantial, though? I mean, it is absolutely circumstantial. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like they. And and I'm asking this question kind of legitimately, not just to the air, but was was season of the witch considered a poor choice, and thus, oh my god, we should pivot back to Michael Myers because that's what everybody one hundred percent wanted. Yes, after all, yes, one hundred percent. Because when it was done, the end of Halloween two, which I know you've seen, but we've never discussed on the show. At the mm-hmm. end of Halloween two. Remy, how does that end? Uh, that spoiler ends alert. where, yeah, where, yes, spoiler alert for the original Halloween 2. Um, Loomis blows up that room that he and Michael Myers are in, and Michael Myers drifts out of the hallway and, and basically burns up. Mm. And and one of the final shots is of his mask as it's being sort of consumed by the flames. And so, so that's that. Um, and then John Carpenter, who did not ever want to make Halloween 2, he didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want to. He literally sort of like. And remind me, he does not end up having anything to do with it. Uh, no, he did. He did. What oh, okay, had, okay. What had happened was Halloween, the original, was meant to be a singular sure. piece of work, and so then they were like, "This has made a ton of money. You've got to make a sequel to it." And and so he was like, "I don't want to make a sequel to it. I'm. I this this was it. This was just done. I I, I don't want to be done with." It. He literally, if the apocryphal stories are to be believed, he literally. Like just hold himself up in a in a room one weekend with some alcohol and just banged out the script in like three days and that was it. <laughs> and just and then he just like released it and was like, or, if you I know, knew that's how to 
right <laughs> right <laughs> right work you know so so that was just like what had happened so he wrote it and he was like okay here fine it's halloween 2 and he specifically wanted to do away with michael myers at the end of halloween 2 well then halloween 2 does pretty well and i still think halloween 2 is a pretty good film so halloween 2 does pretty well he and deborah hill were the producers on that one as well so they're going to make a third one well then the the initial sort of impetus for the third one is, you know, Carpenter was like, no way am I going back to Myers. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, Myers, I, I killed him off. He's done. He's dead. So initially, it was actually, I don't know exactly the minutiae of how this came about, but it was actually pitched to Joe Dante as a potential director to put together a script. And the concept was, let's do an anthology. They were looking for long games of moneymakers. So they were sure. like, why don't we take the Halloween concept and now we do uh, a sequence of films that all center around the ha- the holiday of Halloween. And right. maybe some of them will just be single films. Maybe some of them will be a film and a sequel. And then, you know, but just we'll thread it all the way through. So they did... Halloween three, and it is largely which is a great idea. Oh, absolutely! It's it's a wonderful idea, and I think it was just premature for its time, and I think was largely uh, the the deck was stacked against it in that Halloween two had featured Michael Myers because that was the number one complaint is like where's Michael Myers? Like he's not even in it. He he, he's not even in the thirty second clip they show of the film that he's forced to you know that he's forced to watch. So Michael Myers is like not in it at all. And that was a big complaint about the film. It is speculated that had the film been released as another 80s release just called Season of the Witch and not called Halloween Mm. 3 Season Mm. of the Witch, that it might have been received very differently or at least on its own merits and not had the weight of the pressure of Michael Myers against it. Um, So then it was utterly trashed. Utterly. It became this very meta thing where you're watching Season of the Witch looking for Michael Myers, just like you do in Halloween. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, he's in there. I know he is. Is he behind I me? I don't is. know what's happening. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, so, um, so anyway, so that that was what it was. And then what has happened with the film over time is that was initial reception. And so a lot of people were like, yeah, skip Halloween 3. It's stupid. Just move right. Th-. When they made Halloween 4... Halloween 4's subtitle is The Return of Michael of Michael Myers. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, the, he's back, and now we're on this train for the whole rest of the franchise. Um, and so what's interesting is that heavily derided at the time, heavily derided for a while, and then I would say in about the past 10 to 12 years, there has been this this sort of rising opinion among the horror community that's like, wait a minute now. When you take Season of the Witch on its own merits, it's not a piece of trash. It is, you know, it's it's got some interesting things going on in it. It's trying to do some interesting things. And I feel like to overcompensate for the early and, you know, chronological derision that it received, I think some people have overcompensated and people are like, oh, man, Season of the Witch is great. That's like my favorite sure. Halloween. That's the one that's like, that's the one you ought to see. Like all this Michael Myers stuff is just weird. Like, you know, see, see Season of the Witch. Those and- are the real film nerds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers, I'm a right. season of the witch man myself. I'm that one, you know. And so, um, but I feel like it is somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's like I said. I don't even think it's a great film. I think it's a pretty good one, and I think it's got some really interesting ideas. Um, but I think there are people who will overcompensate for the way it was derisively received in the beginning, and there are people who unnecessarily hate on it for a number of other reasons. And I feel like my own feelings on it is I feel like it's squarely in the middle. It's a cool film to try to watch around Halloween, and, and I'll get to it when we get to Likes Dislikes. I feel like it's a it's a fun film to watch around this season, but I also understand and don't even heavily champion the film when people are like, ah, I didn't like it. 
I didn't I didn't care for it very much um, because it does have a couple of sort of wonky misfires in it. Um, have you ever heard of the children's book, The Wonky Donkey? Mm, it doesn't ring a bell. It's it's great, and you should add gonna, it to your collection. I'm gonna it's seek it out. The Wonky Donkey. It's the Wonky Donkey. Wonky Donkey. All right. Great. I'll I'll seek it out. I'll seek it out. Um, my only piece. My only two trivial bits are like casting cameos. Uh, that's yeah. Nan- you you got him. You got him. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. All you're going. I'm pretty positive Jamie Lee Curtis is on the phone though. Yes. Did now? Okay. So I have to ask. What? Did you write that down because you recognize the voice, or yes. did you? Okay, that's my man. That's. I awesome. didn't look it up. I actually, yeah. I watched this movie whenever a few days ago when I watched it. I've not had the time to look up anything. Oh so yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is Jamie Lee Curtis when he dials and it says, "We're sorry, the number you can't the number dial can't be completed." That's Jamie Lee Curtis on as the operator. And he's the from the thing. fog, right? He is from the fog. Yes, yeah, in fact, I did catch that. He is the one that we joked about when we watched the fog. He's the one who hooks up with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. <laughs> so, he, um, yeah, he has a tendency he, to he, do that. He plays the type. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, he has a tendency to do that. Just the you know young impressionable people yep. just uh that yeah one. anyway yep. um open that one up i should well i should i should point out that at least behind the scenes featurettes and commentaries and stuff uh that that actor stacy nelkin who plays ellie the one that you know ostensibly becomes his you know quasi love interest and you know a, a, a another protagonist in the film um she is very praising of tom atkins as an actor the guy who plays the lead chalice um, she said like, you know, I guess she was kind of young and new to the game and she's got to do a couple of sensitive scenes, but she said he as an actor, like worked really hard to make her feel very comfortable and, and was, you know, uh, a consummate professional in that context. Now, granted, she's saying this on the behind the scenes featurette of the Blu-ray. So believe it, if you will, or distrust From it, if you will. Current days or old footage? From current day. No, no, no. Current day. So, so like. As a uh, as a I would say maybe 10, 15 yeah. years ago, whenever the Blu-ray was produced. Um, so so yeah, she says that he was a consummate gentleman and a very helpful person in that film to sort of help put her at ease for some of that stuff. And and there's no nudity in the film, but there is you know it it's got some it flirts with it. Pretty it heavily. flirts with it pretty yeah pretty closely. Can we? All right, well let's let's do that then. Let's talk about this a little bit because sure, yeah. the longer I've sat with this film, this is one of the primary sticking points for me is and again i'm gonna be that guy right now but Mm -hmm. it is the lens through which i watch a lot of stuff these days and some of the stuff you can some of the stuff i can and much of the stuff that we cover on the show that might feel a little dated for its dynamics yeah uh, especially its gender and sexual dynamics you can kind of be like well you know but i don't know something about this one kind of bothered me one yes it was realizing it was the same actor and i was like oh <laughs> it's consummate gentleman in quotation air quotes here. So, you know, there's that. The f- I I don't know. It's it's easy like like we can have a tendency to do sometimes in our our enlightened era to to finger wag on on history uh separate from the events themselves. And so I'm respectful of that idea, but I mean, there's a 25 year difference between the two of them. Yeah. And, and, and there's, it's one thing to have, um, a vertigo with a pretty strong age difference. Was it vertigo or was it rear window between Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak? (laughs) Yeah. Both of them. Um, pretty strong age difference there, but those are from an era that at least have some 
restraint to the on-screen content. And yeah, understood. Yeah. Even in this film, listen, there are things on my likes dislikes list, so I'm not. I, I'm having this conversation up front so that we can kind of get it out there. Sure. From, oh, from absolutely. Just a, from just a tentpole of the of the broader episode kind of thing. Understood. Yeah. And I mean, stupid stuff, Reed. Like. And I'm, this is why I asked you what your take was on the film, mm, so that mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna start bashing it if you had a strong fondness for it. But like, yeah, I get it. Stu- yeah. Stupid stuff like, oh, you got this tiny suitcase. Uh, they're not planning to stay. They these characters are not planning to stay in this place, right? Right, right, right. Am right, I misremembering right. that? Uh, no, no, no. But she's got her lingerie. Mm-hmm. Just stuff like that. You're like, come on, y'all. This, yeah, okay. no, I get it. I, I hear you. Uh, older actor who has had the the benefit of years to kind of live with this experience you know what i mean like I, I'm yeah not sure, sure being sure, sure. dismissive oh he was a gentleman but it just smacks a little bit of that okay y'all were this is a little eh, you know right like, no this, of course you, you, you don't have your characters act this way so you, you it's it's very forced it's very yeah, forced yeah and to be and to be clear because i, I do want to for directness sake, I do want to draw a line between the the onset behavior of Tom Atkins and what the story is doing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know, I, like, I find I'm not it, casting aspersions on him specifically. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Because, like, I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree with you about this is the direction the filmmakers chose to take it. It's in the script. It's what the directors and producers wanted to do. I think that can be, you know, we can indict that significantly and maybe even by proxy, uh, you know, question Tom Atkins, you know, choice to go through with that. But also I, I, I can understand like if you're going to be put in that moment and you're an actor in the eighties long before there was the awareness that we have today. And I'm not saying I'm not defending it and I'm certainly sure. not like, you know, painting a, a brush over it that says we should ignore it. Um, but at least in that context, uh, I, I would appreciate hearing something like, yeah, d- despite the weirdness of all of that, Tom Atkins was very professional and Tom Atkins was, you know, very intentional about wanting this to be, uh, not a, an exploitative experience, even though we would admit that that's what the filmmakers feel to try to be doing. You know, I mean, like, is it ridiculous? Right. She, she, she throws himself at her or, th- or throws herself at him, you know, where she's like, right. where do you want to sleep? You know, it's like, like that. Well, and, and I, I want to be, I want to be cautious here because, you know, like I, I am not, uh, I'm not, this is going to sound stronger than I mean it to. I'm not a prude about what I watch. I'm not, uh, you know, like, sure. I mean, we, we've referenced Game of Thrones before. I mean, I think that's excessive, but point being like nudity and sexuality in a piece of material isn't some blanket cause to dismiss it in my opinion it's how you do it. And, and I, I'm thinking about your next and how, what I felt gratuitous that inclusion at the top of the film was, um, right, it right. feels similar here. It's like, okay, if you're going to do some of this stuff, at least motivate it within the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like this is purposeless. So to your point, I don't care that she flirts with him. I don't, get to, I, it's still a little uncomfortable that there's a 25 year gap between their sure. ages yeah. and, and that's dumb. And, and, it's dumb that these characters who literally just met and have zero connection are suddenly in bed together. But I don't mind, I don't mind a narrative developing that flirtation. It's, it just, it just has that like, okay, you, you were all trying to titillate each other and it comes off as, as such 
and no, in I don't so disagree. doing, yeah. it's kind of gross. It it's a much more believable relationship that he has with the. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what she that, is, like, yeah, you know, the yeah, autopsy yeah. or whatever, the, you know, like the lab assistant, or the lab, lab assistant person. Yeah. yeah. Like their rapport and their interaction, it feels very organic. It feels very natural. Um, it's not overly flirtatious, but it's clear that there's like, you yeah. know, some affection, some shared affection. Um, and to the degree that when she gets taken out, that it, it, it has some gravity to it because right. we know what they mean to each other. And I agree that. His, you know, it feels very forced, this relationship that that he develops with Ellie. Um, and it would almost have been more interesting to me, or at least it would have been less sort of indictable to say, like, yeah, if it had maintained like sort of a, a an actual fatherly figure or like, a you know, protector kind of thing, you know, that would have been more organic to the story because she's lost her father. So you can kind of see her you know, wanting to sort of come under the wing of this man who wants to find out what happened and wants to investigate right. it. Uh, so when, so when they go the route to, to sexualize that, I can understand how that, it, it just puts a weird pallor over the entire thing. Yeah. Um, Cause but, I'm with you. I'd, I'd actually forgotten that until you said that like their dynamic, he and the, the, the lab person, mm-hmm. I don't want to call her an assistant cause she might be more higher ranked yeah. than that. But, um, it does have this kind of Mulder Scully kind of vibe to it. That's really yes. cool. Yeah. Um, absolutely. and, and yeah, I, I, and so all I'm, I'm faulting the production, you know, yes, absolutely. not necessarily yeah. just individuals. I don't care that much, but it just kind of has that energy of like, eh, yeah, just, no, it's like this, <laughs> like made for USA, 1989 kind of feel. Right, um, right. What? Uh, I just had my one last trivia bit was sure. uh, Nancy Keys plays Daniel's ex-wife, Linda. Um, you might remember oh, all right. the way back from Halloween that she's Annie. She's Annie Brackett, the sheriff's daughter in the original Halloween who gets strangled by Michael Myers in the car. Um, she was also, I think at the time this was made, was the wife uh, in real uh, of the director, Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, so uh, she, Tommy Lee Wallace you may know his his other major no country for old men space cowboys <laughs> so, black. so listen so close no 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 not not quite not quite mm. um so <laughs> just got him i'm just like yep there it is yep um, <laughs> so no he uh the other major thing that listeners may know that he directed was the tv miniseries of it he directed that um mm. And so, but, um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention her because that's another major, you know, connection to the original Halloween. Um, back to you before we completely leave the subject of like, cause I wrote mm-hmm. this note down before we completely leave that other subject. I said, welcome back to that true eighties feel right down to the casual workplace harassment as the doctor slaps the butt of the nurse <laughs> as they're walking by like that. I'm just like, that is completely of its time there is like there and 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 indefensible as such but i'm like there's no way you would see something like that without that being like the moment everybody's talking about uh in another film he's just walking down like just slaps her behind and just doesn't doesn't think anything of it it's just like a jovial moment she brushes him off and it's like oh you i mean like that that is that is very 80s that is uh and probably i mean before that probably very 2020 we just have at least wised up a little bit to not celebrate it. 
That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so, but I will. So, <laughs> I mentioned. people are like, Nathan's getting political. Oh, oh, come on. Come in. Um, oh, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> so, the, the, the 80s feel, though, the 80s vibe, uh-huh. and we can consider this edging into like likes, dislikes. That is one of my big pluses about the film. Whenever the film starts, the synth music, the general production look and feel, I'm like, I am watching an 80s movie. And uh, I'm very nostalgic for the 80s, as many of people of our age are. And so that does sort of like, you know, put a veneer on there that I that I really enjoy and appreciate um, that I'm like, I mean, oh, yeah, right back you know, in it. I did when I was vacuuming the other day and otherwise cleaning house a little bit while my wife was out of town and wanted to, her to come home to not a completely empty or, you know, disarrayed home. Mm-hmm. I did have the Huey Lewis hosted 80s Apple radio show playing. oh yeah oh, he's not yeah. very good at that by the way <laughs> if uh, you're ever gonna it's like it should be whoa. better <laughs> yeah 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 you you it's time to, it's time to put the news away you, you know <laughs> wow <laughs> oh, my gosh. so yes um, 80s um so yeah i did love on? i did love the um the the in universe halloween nod that was fun yes um, yeah, yeah that's really that's really cool meant to be a clever clever throwback what else you got in your likes dislikes I did say, wow, before I knew the story. End of opening credits scene. I hope no one has epilepsy watching this. Oh, yes. That's intense. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, speaking of that, because that is a direct connection to the commercial thing, the Silver Shamrock song drives me absolutely nuts. Don't sing it. No, I'm not. I'm not. But it What's drives really me- funny about that is, you know how I used your They're Coming as your intro? Yeah. Right, right, right. right. I was going to do that, but... It's been so long since I watched a movie. It's probably about four days ago now <laughs> that I can't remember the tune. And, and you're thankful I thought for about I thought about asking you the tune, and then I was like, I don't want to spend time working about the tune here, and then it's going to get stuck in my head. So no, <laughs> I, so stop read. Okay, before, yeah, don't right, do it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank um, you. I mean, it's actually, Slender Bridge is falling down. That's all it is. But <laughs> you are killing me. You are killing me. This 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 recording. I'm like, don't tell me the tune. And you're like, oh, well, this is the tune. <laughs> let your brain do the rest of the work um uh this sounds like a sideways compliment it's actually not it's actually a high compliment the design of the mask is great oh yeah absolutely yeah those look great yeah um so i mean i've got some likes dislikes but i I would maybe rather unless you have some real specific stuff you want to comment on talk about the scares and then get to some theme stuff which isn't me trying to brush past um but because there are there is interesting stuff at work here. Um in terms of scares. Oh snap. That guy in the suit done ripped that fella's face off. That <laughs> that ain't right. That is awful. That's yes. awful. Mm-hmm. That's awful. That's not cool, man. No. That's like that is I do wish. Get on this, Beckley. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what to tell you. But <laughs> Beckley I wish feels, he's gonna start feeling like this is homework <laughs> to listen to the show. Yeah. Okay. We want him oh, to God. enjoy oh. the show. <laughs> <laughs> he's we he's just trying just... to work out on the treadmill or whatever, <laughs> or he's in his car and just like, you know, here's his name and we're accidentally endangering him. Oh my um, gosh. We want him to actually enjoy listening to the show. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I would, I would rank that guy's face getting ripped off high on the four years of doing the fear of God as a kill. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe top it's pretty 10. Gruesome. Yeah. Definitely top 20. Like that's, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, so that's a thing. Yeah, there's what some. You got? There's some rollicking scares. Well, old woman laser face in the motel room. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Listeners don't get the joy of your face. That Watch it on YouTube. Ain't oh, right. That ain't, that ain't right. right. I that mean, ain't right. I was kind of like, all right, that's <laughs> disgusting, but impressive. <laughs> it was so nasty. Well, because it's got so, so nasty. Many, it's got so many layers to it. Because, like, first of all, the laser to the face. It's like so a, it's, it's like a it's like the xenomorph egg opened, but it's a face under. Oh, it. like in other yeah, words, absolutely. the imagery. And and that imagery Rest is so well sh- tonight, everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that imagery is so shocking. In, in just its visual. And then you got the little potato bug thing that decides it wants to crawl out of the mouth. And I was like, what, what the? What the oh, I don't know no potato bug. I don't want <laughs> who called don't Talk to me about that. I think that's what that is. Never mind. We're going to talk about that. Um, so I don't I wrote, know. Etymo- entomologist? I don't talk know. On it. <laughs> entomologist and entomologist. Foles Falabry. Look it, look it up. Um, <laughs> to, uh, so that's what else not you, how the book works. <laughs> <laughs> you discover words you don't go looking for them what? oh my gosh um so i was just gonna ask you what else what else you have um, on the scares list. that's the ripping the face off oh them guys in suits done tanked that hobo's head clean off oh yeah they what just they just that? they Auto pull it correct. off tanked tanked tore be right that's an autocorrect <laughs> mishap I did say then, though, he'll never get ahead in life. Wow. Of course you did. Of not a good did. time to lose one's head. He'll <laughs> <laughs> never be the head of a major corporation. <laughs> um, Let's head out of that bit. jokes are always classy humor. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, Cochran and his Doom bots. Mm. Ellie got turned into a fembot. Speaking of Austin Powers. Uh, commercial activated the button on the mask. All the snakes and crickets coming out of that kid's mouth head. That ain't right. Yeah. The, uh, death, the death of the, yeah, the death of the little boy. That's, uh, uh-uh. it is as shocking and gruesome what, what as is it the, is disgusting. What is the circumstances? I don't mean the imagery. I can conjure so that. So well they, remember. that, that like top salesman has won the prize of oh, being able to yeah. tour the factory and everything. And then he and his wife don't and go this, into sales kids. Oh, seriously. And so then, um, the little boy puts on the mask and yeah, and it's like you've already London seen bridges falling down. You son of a! <laughs> <laughs> I did it! I did it! So um, you've already seen how the buttons will like laser right. something and cause that was cool. This yeah, I mean, this is it's gross, but it's gross, it's cool. but yeah, and so so like you don't see the laser hit him, but you see like something is going on under the mask, and it's just like the more it keeps cutting to it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But I mean, what are we supposed to think is happening there? I I mean, I don't. I'm sort of apologetic for asking the question, but no, that's right. Where the where the junk are these nasty bugs coming from inside well, his head? Yeah, are they getting basically. implanted there by the laser? Yeah, basically. So, so there is a degree, and this will this will probably come up in at least what I have as a possible theme, and we can discuss that together when we get to it. But like, like basically, I hope this it'd be together. Yeah, no, I'm not just going to monologue all of it. <laughs> um, the no, it, it it basically becomes the idea is that like this technology is a transportation device for actual witchcraft. Like it's there's there's mm. a sorcery at work. But right. it is, but it is transmitted through technological means, not through you know like the casting of spells or boil bubbling cauldrons or whatever. But it is transmitted by this, you know, these robotic little devices. And and so I don't mean this to be a dumb question, but are you 
intuiting that just from your read of the film or you've seen like this is sort of what you're supposed to take away there's no wrong answer i'm just kind of curious yeah to be honest i don't remember if i have ever it is possible because i've watched a couple of little behind the scenes pardon me behind the scenes things about this film so it is possible that one of those little featurettes that i saw planted that idea in my mind or it is possible because i think at one point um cochran the main sort of runner Mm -hmm. of the factory actually talks about like the witchcraft elements or the you know the the sorcery elements at play in what their ultimate game plan is um so i don't know if i just picked it up from there or if if it's unpacked further in something but that is a concept behind the film it's just like they are using this idea of a commercial at the same time that a bunch of kids have purchased a product Right. That they are going to be wearing at the same time, and that's going to mass activate this right. sort of, uh, you know, in the Halloween spirit, trick or treat. It's a trick on all of these children. Um, and so I, I, while we're there, and maybe we can pivot into that, the only other scare that I wanted to mention, and that I'm not trying to be intentionally comical, but I think it is comical. I was like, the robot version of Ellie, like the fembot version, like... Mm-hmm. The first reveal, I think it's great when they're driving in the car and she just like reaches over and tries to rip his face off. Oh, and then the arm. Yes. But then it's like it just won't stop coming. Like it's like the arm gets severed off. Well, then the head gets popped off. Then the arm attacks him in the car and you think that's over. And then he comes. This was their it was their Terminator moment. (laughs) It was really wanted to. And then, like, the torso, like, comes after him and everything. It's just, it gets really weird. It just literally won't stop. Coming. So, yeah, she, they, they kind of have that, you know, kind of nod to old James Cameron and the Terminator. Sure. And actually, I'm wondering, I actually can't remember if this was, uh, this actually predates the Terminator by two years. Hmm. So, um, maybe Cameron got inspired by Ellie. That's right. He did. He did. Um, so, I mean, we, unless you have some more scares to mention, we can pivot nope. over into themes. And I, I want to yield a little bit because I've already kind of set the stage for some of mine. Did you have any sort of specific thing? I know that your experience of watching the film was not like, you know, uh, very enthralling or like, you know, super uh, thrilling for you. But did you have some things that you latched onto that? Because I know you've mentioned a couple of times that there are some interesting things going on in the film. I agree, but I want to hear what kind of what you um, latched onto. I do as think that. it's the first film in four years that we've covered that i was like ah, i don't know that i'm gonna celebrate halloween this year <laughs> <laughs> um i mean they I, the film isn't quite smart enough to follow these ideas through but i did like just the general concept of what well, I, I i quoted you two who quoted what is it is this song yeah this is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We we're stealing, stealing it back. back. Uh, it says they, we stole and sanitized Halloween. The Celts are stealing it back. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I, I kind of liked that idea of just okay. I know this is a hard thing. It's it's like just shut up about it, Nathan. But <laughs> because because if you take the ideas, coven of sorceress people beings uh from this lineage are trying to subvert what we've sanitized and called halloween by kind of literally taking the trappings of the holiday and turning them against us it's just more interesting if it's kids as part of the sure the, the um protagonist 
base. Yeah. yeah and so, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of this frustrating push pull in my head of like, I like the, the general frame you've got. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't love the, the technology aspect of it, but whatever, it's fine. Um, mainly again, this is my fault. It's my fault. I'm <laughs> owning that. I was just expecting a different mechanism to be operating with. And so the really, adjustment that's never, my fault. Cause I, well, I'm not going to say that, but <laughs> it, I mean, I'm not going to say it. I'll think it and I'll, I'll wink at you uh, real uh, uh, like uh, rocket <laughs> and guardians too. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But, but sincerely, that's not your fault other than just, I misunderstood kind of what you were saying. Mm. Um, but, but because of my sort of misgivings about the sort of sexual dynamics of the piece and, you know, kind of wishing for more of what I thought I understood of what I was getting, it was hard to, to kind of piece all that together. All of that said, I like the, the, if you, if you back it all the way up to the wall, what's going on in this film, it's pretty cool. And yeah. Oh, yeah, I can sure. get on board with the ideas at work, if not how they ultimately get executed. Sure. I understand that. And, and I think one of the most fascinating things about it to me is there, there's a couple of ideas that I latched onto and neither one of them has to yield terribly substantive conversation at this point. But one of the primary things was, you know, um, a manipulation of. So I have not watched it yet. I haven't seen the movie, The Social Dilemma. You have. Mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, our uh, my friend Wes, who was in our, our my wedding. Um, so you probably I know like that you almost said our wedding. Just I did. Cementing, I did. cementing everyone's wonder and concern. So weird. Um, <laughs> but, but um, you know, my, my friend Wes is in, uh, he, he works for a tech company and he, um, ha he also was very praising of the social dilemma and has told me a little bit about it. Not enough so that I don't need to watch it. I still need to watch it. But, um, th this concept in Halloween three season of the witch of we're going to leverage the technology and the technological advancements that we have, um, to basically, you know, destroy these lives, you know, and, and that this is our manipulative product that we're going to execute. And if there is a, there's several things that I would fault on a minor sense on the film. One major thing that I might say about it is I feel like the major motivation. Positive? No, this is a, 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 a negative against okay. the film. Um, one of the things that I feel that they don't do a great job is substantiating why the characters are doing this. All we're really left with sure. is it's Halloween and we're playing a trick on the children, but it's a, it's a pretty permanent trick and it's pretty dreadful. So like, what is, what is your goal by doing this? You know, is it the destruction of children? Is it, you know, just laying waste to all these lives? Um, or is there some other sort of purpose after the purpose that, that is at play here? Um, but I do think it's interesting that they have infused this, they've kind of married the ubiquitous nature of technology with the sorcery and witchcraft to do irreparable damage. That's what they've blended together um, to the degree. And I don't think it's, you know, uh, coincidental that the, the final shot of the film, I mean, it's almost a bit too odd on the nose. The final shot of the film is a man screaming into a phone for a network to stop the commercial. 
and and wow. stop it, stop yeah. it, stop it, stop it. Right. And that's that's our that final moment. Yeah. yeah, and that's our final moment of the film. And the film does not. The film can can easily sort of tilt you towards saying that he is not successful in getting them to stop that third commercial. Right. But the film never tells us. It just leaves you with him yelling, stop it. And again, he's trying to get a network to stop a commercial before it does countless damage to millions of lives. And um, and so that, again, there's tons of places you could go with that. Uh, a lot of the socioeconomic repercussions repercussions are on the nose with that metaphor but i find that very interesting um particularly given that this film was 82 not you know 2018 which it easily could have been and probably would have been a much more heavy-handed metaphor in the hands of a of a current filmmaker um so i find that interesting um i i do find it interesting interesting that the source of the attack the victims are the children that that's what they're going after right. and they're and they're going after it by getting them to all sort of rally around the same thing like we're all going to there are three masks there's not like there's yeah. this wide variety of choices you have three masks so you can either be the skeleton the witch or the pumpkin like that's that's it and and so all of these kids wear these masks and presumably this commercial activates the um the the damaging effect of the laser in that in that button um and does you know it does away with them all um and so yeah it's like i don't i don't have i don't think our, our listeners are savvy enough to draw the connecting points that i might draw for themselves of saying like yes um there's a volatile sort of thing being played at where you talk about how rampant the commercialization of this specific thing is and the way it is it is i'll say this stepping out of the film for a second but scratching at the themes of the film the way first and foremost like willy wonka and his chocolate factory you get everybody on board with the uh sort of appeal of it and the and the commercialization of it and the uh similarities of it it's the cool thing it's the it's the bandwagon to jump on you get everybody on board with that and then you get everybody rallying around the same time and what are they rallying around what do they expect to receive at nine o'clock there's a giveaway there you're Mm going to be given a particular prize and so you get everybody wearing the same face or wearing a similar face centered around something that they expect to be given that they expect to be, you know, like, okay, we're, we're going to receive a prize for doing this. And that's the moment, unbeknownst to them, that a sinister unveiling is going to come and just going to, you know, wipe them all away. Um, and again, I don't think the film is trying very hard to make a, a subversive statement about it. But again, like there's too much text of the film for me to say they didn't know what they were scratching at or they didn't know what they were playing in. I just don't think they try very hard to make a, a deliberate cohesive statement about it. I think they were just sort of dancing. In well, the and also, I mean, I, I, until you, your corollary there or your correlation uh, would not have necessarily thought of it, but yeah, I, I do. <clears throat> having watched, I did watch social dilemma and, and in truth, it's, it's very much in feature length form, uh, what 
you know, I referenced at the top of the year or earlier in the year reading the book Antisocial or Digital Minimalism. The, all these books are pointing at and, and mm. screaming about uh, is what Social Dilemma is in film form. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll you're kind of doing what I was trying to hint at, which is simply to say, or didn't not hint at as in I was being withholding, but hint at as in I didn't quite know how to articulate. There are a few things bubbling under the surface that are pretty interesting, even if at the time they didn't have the language for it. Like, right. Sure. Like, I get it. you know, if someone made a movie like this today, Oh, the social, the, 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 right. the social network platforms are, are taking over your kids. It'd be like, well, yeah, Yes, you're no, right. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's it's almost too, for it's almost too understood to mm-hmm. be happening, and so it almost becomes this crude analogy that still signals a similar thing, which is we we give ourselves over to these manipulators, um, right. Who who may not be planting bugs in our brain, mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. speaking, but <laughs> right. are enthralling us to yes. to things in ways that we don't understand and know are happening to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a worthy conversation to have. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly where else to take it from that standpoint, but you know, I, I, I like that the movie is ambiguous about his success at the end. I mean, I think yes. there's, there's worthy, a worthy conversation around the cautionary nature of that. Like once these things are as big as they are now, Mm -hmm. the capacity to put these genies back in the bottle is, is to say they're impossible is not an overstatement to say it's impossible to, to turn the ship around is not an overstatement. The problem at this point isn't so much. Can you turn the ship around as much as how many, how many souls are you going to wreck on the way to attempting to turn it around? Yeah. And, anyway, and so that it doesn't go unsaid, there was apparently a novelization. I have not read it, but there was apparently a novelization of the film concurrent to the time that ironically was more successful than the film was. Like mm. more people sought out the book than uh, did, you know, praise the film. And the book does not leave it ambiguous. The book pretty definitively. I've read the last couple of lines because they're available for people to just sort of look at. Um, the the last couple of lines leave it very definitive that he failed that that oh, he wow. did that he did not stop it and that uh, I think it said something I didn't write it down and I should have I think it said something like and the screams of the children were heard uh you know in the town and in the city beyond it and in the land beyond that you know and so like you know it it he definitely did not succeed at least according to the novelization but again the but film wouldn't leaves you say it, I mean I don't I don't feel the need to linger on this uh, too long but. I think what's hard about that is it's like the the social dilemma of the film and a, anything like it that's going to be an instructive about technology in our modern society is going to be a cautionary tale in and of itself. Right. Of course, um, yes. I think what's a little hard to parse about season of the witch is what's the caution? You know what I mean? Like what mm. what is what is being cautioned against? Don't participate in Halloween because that's ultimately what it seems like. The movie isn't saying that as a as a worthwhile venture, right? Don't, of course, yes. Don't let your kids truck a treat. But the the <laughs> right. narrative of the film is about that. Like, yes, you took this sort of tradition and principle away and co opted it for your own purposes, and we're gonna 
screw you over for it. Taking it back. Um, So, so I guess the broader point being, I like the artistry of leaving it ambiguous for a film that otherwise is relatively low on artistry. And then at the same time, I don't understand the choice to leave it, to make it definitive in the book. Cause I don't know what Mm. you're warning me against other than don't steal from druids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which and i Kelt's gonna get you yeah i, I would have tried to well, abide that in general and i think so, so you know i i because i don't know that i have a definitive yeah. answer either but but i think you know i don't i don't even get from this that halloween is the danger i get from this that halloween is the vehicle that now granted cochran sort of leans on the traditions of Samhain and, and, you know, sort of wanting to reclaim that, uh, that, that witchcraft of it. Um, so, so maybe I'm incorrect about that. Maybe people are like, dude, he straight up says it, that it's, it's a tradition of Halloween and you do this. Um, but to me, it's more to, to me, I think if there is a, an element of our culture or of our tendency as human beings that's being indicted, it is that notion of okay, we're uh, we are all going to just be slaves to the dangling carrot. That that that's uh, that's always what we're going to be drawn to, and that once that uh, sort of you know never realizing that the person holding the stick on the other end of the dangling carrot is a predator that's going to right. you know, consume us. That it's that it's a trap. Um, and so I, I think obviously in the eighties at this point, you know, Reagan was elected. There's a lot of films, particularly by John Carpenter that John Carpenter was involved in that are very, uh, critical of the consumerist culture. He's not the only one, but you know, there's a lot of it. Let's like critical of the consumerist culture, critical of those grenade in a backpack is ground zero for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and call back. (laughs) <laughs> here we come episode 200 um but uh but also critical of our tendency as human beings to yeah just i mean yeah just keep coming back to the simple language of you put on the face put on the mask sit down in front of the tube with the anticipation of a prize and then be treated with destruction you know it's like that uh that that means is something that we are all in the throes of right now. I mean, you look at you the open way up Facebook anticipating a red button and <laughs> now you're in the throes of destruction. I'm, I'm kind of being serious, but I know, yeah. no, I know. And yeah. it's like, that's the thing that we ourselves have already sort of bought into it. Like we've, by the time these children have already, like, it's already too late. They've bought the mask. Of course, they're going to wear it by the time they sit in front of the, you know, like, and that's the thing is that the uh, I'm not going to recite the tune, even though I already you know told you what it was. But um, the refrain, the the vocal refrain that the guy says is, "It's almost time, kids." You know, right. like it, it. This is very sort of anticipation of like, okay, clock's ticking. Like you you've got to get on this right now. And I feel like I don't know. I feel like as we enter into this season, and I don't mean Halloween. I mean, as we enter into this season, we're now in October. You and I are recording this like a week or so before October actually hits. But, you know, we're now into into the thick of October. We are very rapidly going to be getting into a season where there's going to be a lot of wear the face, 
show up at X time, receive X reward. Or if you don't, in, in the parlance of political and social language, um, if you don't do this, if you don't put on this facade, if you don't adopt this language, if you don't uh, show up in these places and this places, then uh, utter devastation is going to come to you. So the one big difference that we're facing in 2020 is that instead of a dangling carrot, we also have like the threat a of landmine. Huh. <laughs> or, yeah, or like landmines everywhere. Like that's the dual nature of it. I can I can save your country, dangling carrot over here. I can save your country. The other guy is going to just blow it all to hell. Like that's the that's the exact dichotomy that we're in and I'm not saying, you know, listeners are savvy enough to know. I'm not making some broad generalization about how evil one thing is versus another, but I do think we should be incredibly cautious about the mindlessness of where the where the facade plant ourselves in the place and time um you know with anticipation of uh just an an easy lands yes an easy landslide prize um we should just be very weary of that and we should be very um cautious and skeptical and critical of language that pushes us there. And that's not a statement that says you should vote one way or another. That's not a statement that says you should think one way or another. That is a statement begging us, uh, you, me, all of us, not to simply pick one of the three masks, show up, plant yourself down, and just wait for your prize to be handed to you. Like, that's... You know, just think more richly and deeply about your choices. Think more richly and deeply about the inputs and the persuasions that are driving you to that place and time, driving you to that face. Um, and and I think that's and if you if you yeah. buy a costume off the rack, just pat it down for look for buttons. Yeah, yeah. look for buttons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, don't you- look at the button. You know, <laughs> that's make it a faceful. That did not get well for the for the woman in the hotel room. Um, so again, I could summarize, uh, and maybe this is a, you know our pivot into the fog meter. Unless you have something more, you know, I'm good to unpack. Um, I could summarize that I think Halloween season of the witch proposes an incredibly interesting idea that I don't know. I love the way you said it earlier that I don't know that it had the language at the time it was made to really explore it to the fullest extent, but it has a really interesting idea at its center. Um, and so uh, maybe with that, want to go to the fog meter and see, what, Let's do see it. what's up? The fog meter, our metric, our home brewed, homegrown metric of how we rank things here on the fear of God using the metrics of or using the you know, kind of identifiers of fear and God, how scary was a thing, how substantive was a thing. I'll go first on fear. And, uh, I mean, there's some generally grisly imagery and, you know, typical carpenter level body horror at work. Um, I'll, I'll give it a, on this, I'll give it a seven. Okay. Um, yeah, I, it, what's funny is I feel like the film as a whole is not perpetually scary, but there's some really gruesome stuff. Uh, particularly like the moment in the hotel room is jarring when it comes and the, the death of the boy, the first time that comes, that's pretty jarring. Um, I think I'm going to land at a six for its, uh, for its general fear factor. I think for me, for the God meter, it's tough because I do think there's a really interesting idea at its core, but I also agree that I don't think that the film really does its homework to unpack it possibly because of the restrictions of concept, um, you know, and and it shouldn't be completely dismissed that they were 
simultaneously trying to take a franchise, a successful franchise, in a totally new direction while also uh, establishing their own niche as a singular story. So they, so they had some big shoes to fill. Um, and I just don't think that they necessarily pulled it all across the finish line the way they're supposed to. I'm going to give it a four on the God meter. Hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, great kernel K E R N E L, uh, <laughs> of a concept that gets kind of left there. Sure. Um, in the spirit of the title sequence, I'm going to give this a three. Aha, very good. Very God good. Here. And so that means we give Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, a 5 out of 10 on the fog meter. Um, actually, a little higher than I thought we'd rank it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this might wind up at like the 3 or 4 mark. But 5 is still, you know, 5 is still uh, palatable. Um how would would you recommend Halloween three season of the witch? Um, I would say purely for the completists. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you know if you're a big Halloween fan. Although I guess maybe you won't like it, and from that standpoint, but yeah, uh, Halloween the film franchise, not Halloween the ho- holiday. Um, but you know it it makes sense to have sort of seen it for the sake of, but from a from a would I ever consider dropping popping this back in and, and which is a a, a language for a technology that I no longer really use, but of queuing this back up mm-hmm. in the digital box I use in which to watch it. No, not really. Yeah, I understand that. And, and I'm going to give a similar sort of, uh, you know, like not half hearted recommendation. That's a little too glib, um, of a descriptor, but I feel like, yeah, if you're, if you're very curious about it, then yeah, check it out because it's got some interesting things going on in it. And, uh, you know, particularly, I will also say this, that if you're a fan of 80s horror, you will probably find quite a bit to at least appreciate about it, even if you don't necessarily like or enjoy it. Um, so if you're a fan of 80s horror or if you're interested in completing the the Halloween franchise, do be aware that like if what you love about the Halloween franchise is its tone and Michael Myers and stuff like that, like that's that's not present in this. It's it's deliberately and intentionally not there. Um, so you might get a little bit of that 80s feel vibe, but it's not but it's not the same film. So really, for most people, I would not necessarily recommend it. But if you have that intersection where you are particularly curious about it um, or, you know, have a flavor for 80s horror films, then, yeah, sure. Go ahead and check it out. Um, So that puts our first installment of this hashtag. This is Halloween uh, of our October series as we're running through. Um, So we are going to be continuing on not only with Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, which I will remind you that for next week, you need to finish part one, read through the end of chapter 24. But also, film-wise, you'll need to check out a film from 2006. We've been spending a lot of time in 2006 recently because we've been, you know, Apocalypto, Children of Men. This is a good year. Um, so you're going to be looking for an animated film. This one actually is about children <laughs> and it Halloween. It is. It is. Um, so you're going to be going to Monster House, the animated film Monster House. That is going to be our subject for next week. Check that out. Also, catch up where we are in the book on Something Wicked This Way Comes. And Nathan, thank you as always for having these conversations. And uh, listeners, thank you always for uh, listening to them from us. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. Bye. 
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.